Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Pastor Debbie. It has been good to get to know you and Pastor Trent, the the Pastor Trent, over the past, uh, I don't know, eight months or so, something like that. So I've been here for about a year and a half. I haven't been in this building, but it is a beautiful space, and it's good. I've met some of you. I recognize some familiar faces from around town, and uh, it's been a quite a ride this first year and a half. This is my first assignment as a chaplain. Before that, I was a trombone player in the Air Force. Um, I'm not kidding. That sounds like a joke, but it's true. Um, and um, I, I live here. Uh, I live on base with my three kids, uh, five, 10, and 13. Um, the five-year-old, we convinced that 2023 happened at about uh, nine o'clock. So praise God for that. Uh, and the older two actually made it to midnight. I think it was the, the largest chunk of people awake in my house at midnight uh, at one time. Oh, thank you, Pastor Debbie. Uh, and just before we uh, read from the Word of God one more time this morning, um, I want to say thank you to this congregation, to Pastor Val and Pastor Trent, and to anyone else who helped on Thanksgiving at the chapel. There was, I don't know how many pies, I should have remembered, but there were countless pies, countless pies. And uh, I think, I'm not kidding you, 43 boxes of stuffing. That was a bit of a miscommunication, but there was a lot of stuffing. <laughs> so uh, a great amount of thanks to you all and your leadership and all, many of the churches around town who supported a deployed families dinner on base for um, the families of those members who were deployed. Uh, so I invite you now, uh, if you would, to rise as we, if you're able and willing, as we read from the book of Matthew. This is the reading for the first Sunday after Christmas. It comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, the flight to Egypt. When the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I have called my son out of Egypt. When Herod knew the Magi had fooled him, he grew very angry. He sent soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem and in all the surrounding territory who were two years old and younger. 
according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. This fulfilled the word spoken through Jeremiah the prophet, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and much grieving, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted because they were no more. Now after King Herod died, an angel from the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus ruled over Judea in place of his father Herod, Joseph was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he went to the area of Galilee. He settled in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Thanks be to God for the reading of this word. You may be seated. He will be called a Nazarene. Oh boy, I've never said that in a Nazarene church before. Goodness. Now, this story, this um, reading from the origins of Matthew, and, and the first two chapters of Matthew in general, basically contain none of the Christmas song stuff that we just sang about, right? I'm so glad you sang some Christmas songs. Um, uh, go tell it on the mountain. Oh, these are good things. But all of that stuff, all of the stuff that we usually sing about and that we see in Christmas pageants comes from the book of Luke for the most part. And Luke gives us lots of awesome things. Two miraculous births, John the Baptist and Jesus, shepherds, the manger, the swaddling clothes, the heavenly host singing, glow, whoa, 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 worry, you know, all of that stuff. All in all, the Christmas pageant, as we expect it to play out, comes from that book of Luke. Now, Matthew, on the other hand, gives us what a preacher in my tradition, Fred Craddock, calls the hard side of Christmas. He focuses on Joseph, on Herod's killing of the infants, and the Holy Family's flight to Egypt. In fact, if you only read the first few chapters of Matthew, you won't read anything about the actual birthday of Jesus. Christmas Day in Matthew is little more than a semicolon. That's a, that's a period with a comma underneath it. And, but really, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, it says Joseph had no marital relations with Mary until she'd born a son, semicolon, and he named him Jesus. And then we move on. Now, Matthew's telling of this unconventional entry for God's Son, this Christ child, our Messiah, our Lord and Savior, places at its center his adopted father, Joseph. Joseph's decision how to treat Mary and what to do with some rather unusual dreams. For Matthew, the supernatural splendor of Christmas, those stars and angels and shepherds, are less important than the piercing unconventionality the surprising circumstances of Jesus' birth. Now, I love a good Christmas pageant. I really do. And in fact, this year, uh, for the first time in, I think, three years, we had one at the, at the Air Force Base at our chapel. And I will never forget it. Have you ever seen one of these things with the little kids and the saying the, 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 the angels are singing and the little kids and you've got Mary who's, you know... I mean, it's just the most precious thing in the world. And truly, to, to hear the words of Scripture from children is an unforgettable and life-changing uh, experience. Read Scripture with your kids. Let them read it to you. 
But as I return to the book of Matthew, because that's where the lectionary is this time of year and this year, I felt that maybe the sweetness, and it was sweet, the, the sort of dramatic flair of the pageant uh, lost something about Christmas. It sort of overlooked the danger, it, uh, the risk that was there on that first Christmas, that hard side of Christmas. Now, Joseph and Mary were flesh and blood parents, right? This was, these were real people living in the harsh realities of an ancient world. Winter is bad here, but it was tough over there, right? It was a life and death struggle. Birth was not an easy thing. It isn't easy now, and it was certainly riskier then. And so sometimes I think listening to the pageants and sometimes the Christmas songs, God love them, um, we too easily shrug off the risk that this was somehow all predetermined and it was going to go simple and fine. But I want to ask, how did they do it? How did Joseph and Mary do it? How did they get through the challenges of that first Christmas? How did they get it right? Starting with Joseph's decision from Matthew chapter 1 to not condemn Mary. He could have condemned her to death, you know. And then listening to these dreams, one dream after the next, when the stakes were as high as it could be, his newborn baby child. I hope I don't push this off. If You might need a spotter. We say things like, "God, with God, all things are possible. And then we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And these are good promises, right? These are good things, inspirational words to remember. But the truth the hard side of those words and of Christmas this year is that it's easier said than done. How did they do it? Stephen Covey says that we're not the product of our circumstances, but we are the products of our decisions. Now there is an abundance of grace, an abundance of grace as we live in Christ, grace upon grace, truly, and forgiveness too, of course a good measure, pressed down and overflowing. But when the rubber meets the road, when the chaos comes, and it will surely come, all of us will have to choose. Our faith is not made up of good intentions. Our faith is rather forged in the moments where we risk being wrong. Rufus Jones, who was a Quaker pastor, once said that, Innocence is not a virtue. Innocence is a given. It is unearned. Moral virtues like courage, love, righteousness, perseverance, kindness. Every single virtue any one of us has in our soul has been won through struggles and battles and difficult choices. We must choose, like Joseph, whether to follow the letter of the law or to see it in the light of God's love, whether to carry out a costly and dangerous journey after a dream, or to ignore the signs before us. We must, we just might have to respond to the unthinkable, to the tyrants of the world, to the oppressors, to the criminals. We might have to choose to run when to 
when it's safe to return or if, or if we must relocate. When we ask how Mary and Joseph managed that hard side of Christmas, the difficult choices become more than a footnote in our Christmas pageants. With the help of the Holy Spirit, if we can just dig into this text today, just this text of Matthew, help us, it might just help us in the ordinary and extraordinary choices that we have in our lives. I'm sure that some of you are facing difficult decisions or have in the recent past, but all of us will. Joseph's choices and all that surrounded them, as told in the Gospel of Matthew, are meant to remind us of another story of deliverance. Another great, triumphant story. Who else in the Bible? If there are any children left, maybe you can tell us. Who else in the Bible was born under a threat from a ruler, escaped in infancy to Egypt, crosses water, enters the wilderness, teaches repeatedly from a mountain? Anybody? Moses. Moses, of course. Now, once you start reading this book of Matthew, looking for parallels to Moses, you're going to see them everywhere. They keep popping up. Um, some of the big ones are that Matthew organizes his teaching into five speeches or discourses. They remind us of the five books of Moses, Moses also called the Pentateuch, the, the Law. These are the five books of our, first five books of our Bible. And these numbers are important for us sometimes. They're signposts or symbols. And Matthew starts off his gospel with another five. Five dreams. Five angelic dreams. Messages to those who are on God's side for the sake of protecting God's gift to humanity. Four of those dreams were to Joseph and one was to the Magi. So if we're paying close attention to the text, we see that God is working through the understanding and experience of the people of God, through their memories of deliverance and past encounters with God. God's kingdom, as it was on that first Christmas, is being built with bridges, and still today, built with bridges between the covenants of old and God's kingdom, God's mission for the kingdom today. The birthday of Jesus marks the beginning of such a construction, such a bridge, in which Jesus makes possible a new and living way, like it says in Hebrews, a way of deliverance, a way of salvation for all people. For Matthew, Jesus is the new Moses. Have you ever thought of Jesus as the new Moses, whose mission intentionally brings outsiders into its unfolding? And outsiders like the Magi, who whose inclusion demonstrates that it isn't your past that determines whether you can serve God. It isn't your past that determines whether you can serve God. And this Jesus, this gift from God to us all, will spend his earthly ministry reinterpreting and reimagining ideas about what it means to be the people of God, reimagining ideas like righteousness. What does that mean to you, righteousness? How do you define righteousness? Doing the right thing, acting within God's will, being in right relationship with God. Those are just some ideas. But Matthew makes a point of introducing Joseph as a righteous man. Jesus, in the next chapter, will be baptized by John in order to fulfill all righteousness. 
And I, I focus on it briefly now because it seems central to the success of God's mission here in chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew, especially at this beginning of Jesus' life. God relied on Joseph, on Mary, on the Magi to be faithful to their sense of what was right, to what God was calling them to do in their lives. And that's how I define righteousness. Righteousness is being faithful to God's call on your life. Now, I understand um, that, that being faithful to God's call in your life is not always easy. And sometimes discerning what that call is, is difficult, right? The pursuit of righteousness is not a destination, but a journey. It comes, like all those virtues I mentioned earlier, with a struggle. Now, we can only speculate what might have prepared Mary and Joseph for the call of God on that first Christmas, for what gave them the courage to say yes, to answer a higher call of righteousness than what the law or common sense or their neighbors might have suggested, to follow their dreams rather than their fears. I can't be sure, I tell you. But I feel it's safe to say that both Mary and Joseph had been training for those moments their whole lives. What are you training for? What great moments, great decisions lie in your future that every decision you make will get you ready for? Isn't it always like this? The battles we experience, the unique struggles we face prepare us for our roles in the kingdom of God. It suggests to me that our capacity for righteousness depends in no small, small part on the decisions that you make every single day. This is uh, what we might call discernment. And discernment, writes Ruth Haley Barton, is an increasing capacity to recognize and respond to the presence and activity of God in the ordinary moments and in all the decisions we face. That's discernment. And the internet says you make 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 remotely conscious decisions every day. That's about 2,000 decisions every hour. 200 decisions every day just about food. If, <laughs> maybe more on New Year's. Now, if that's true, you make more decisions every day than you take breaths in a 24-hour period. Sometimes we ask ourselves, we find ourselves asking how we got here. There, you know, I'm, I'm certain that Mary and Joseph at some point during these first years of Jesus' life were saying, how did this happen? Why us, right? Big decisions, big moments um, happen in our lives, pivotal moments. But certainly these pivotal moments in our lives are the effect of all of those little decisions you make, those, I don't know, thousands at least. If we reflect deeply on our lives, those everyday decisions truly shape us into who we are. They prepare us for these moments. Mary Oliver wrote that attention is the beginning of devotion. Sort of like you are what you eat, except with your whole life. How many of those decisions you make every day? 35,000, I don't know. Even if it was 1,000, it would be a lot, right? How many of our decisions 
are we really conscious of? How many are consistent with our deeply held values? How many are informed by the Holy Spirit? We abdicate, we give away so much of our opportunity for discernment and making decisions to that which shapes us. We give away so much to habit, don't we? Anyone who knows me knows I drink too much coffee. Does anyone else drink too much coffee? Okay. It's, it's true. I admit it. I do not have a, a New Year's resolution to stop this. I, I'm, okay. No. Um, but, you know, I was reflecting this year, and I've become such a creature of habit that I really don't remember the last time I ordered something at a coffee shop that was different than my usual drink. The same size, the same words, the same customization, the same amount of shots. Every single time, I'm not kidding you, for years. What does that say about me? There's this movie called You've Got Mail, and in, Tom, and in it, Tom Hanks says something about this. He says, the whole purpose of places like Starbucks is for people with no decision-making ability whatsoever, apparently that's me, to make six decisions just to buy one cup of coffee. You've got short, tall, light, dark, calf, decaf, low-fat, non-fat. Some people who don't know what they're doing or who on earth they are can get not just a cup of coffee, but an absolutely defining sense of self. Now that's sort of, you know, humorous, right? But the, the unfortunate truth of the troubling truth under that is that our culture of mass consumerism has produced an illusion of discernment. When all we've really done is just surrender our decision-making powers to the masters of marketing, to our human drives for belonging, for identity and pleasure. For Joseph and Mary to have been faithful through those fires that surrounded the hard side of that first Christmas, their past successes and mistakes surely gave them the raw materials to understand what God was asking of them. I bet, I don't know for sure, but I bet they knew the work of the prophet Micah. The words we heard earlier today between those beautiful songs. Who when asked what the Lord requires said, do justice, do justice, do justice. Act justly, love kindness or mercy. Walk humbly with your God. It's not about, according to Micah and so many of the prophets, it's not about following the rules exactly, as Joseph did not. It's not about worshiping the best, as Jesus would go ahead and teach. It's not about giving the most money, but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly. These are the building blocks of a higher righteousness that Jesus would use in his teaching, that Jesus would call on this new and living way, that he would build this bridge into this new creation, this new life that he's calling us to. In the final of his five sermons, his five sections of teaching, Matthew writes that Jesus taught about the righteous, and he said that the righteous are those who care for the vulnerable. I'm going to read it to you just briefly. This is from Matthew 25, and it says, When was it? This is the righteous asking the Lord. When was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? When was it we saw you sick 
and in prison and visited you. And the Lord answered them, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Mary and Joseph were righteous in this way, this higher righteousness. How many times did they have to choose kindness, to do justice, to act humbly before they were ready to do so in this crunch? With reputation and family and their future on the line, how many opportunities do we have every day to choose kindness? to privilege the needs of others less fortunate than ourselves, to give grace, to provide care, to build trust and show respect. Each opportunity, each choice prepares us for this call, for God's call, whether it's a dream or an email or something else. Every day, we can experience and practice the righteousness of God, not because it saves us, because It's the way God acts on earth. This practice of righteousness can be the very difference that ushers in the kingdom of God on earth as it was in heaven, is in heaven, like it did on that first Christmas. Now, we're all presented with choices, and I expect we struggle with them, as I've said, to wrestle with God in one way or another. And I want to tell you one last story about a German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was um, active in teaching and writing and organizing in the years leading up to World War II in Germany. He was a member of what was called the Confessing Church. This was a group of Christian pastors who opposed Nazi efforts to nationalize Christian churches in Germany. These Nazi leaders sought to control church doctrine in favor of racist and politically corrupt goals. They sought to change things, everything from the the definition of baptism to what was in Scripture. Now, Bonhoeffer's efforts against this were eventually outlawed. As early as 1935, it became very difficult. And though he continued to train pastors underground, it became clear that the war was coming and that it would change the nature of this work. And Bonhoeffer, as so many others, was faced with a choice a choice to flee or to stay. And from what I can understand, everybody wanted him to get out of Germany. Nobody would have blamed him for running. And he actually accepted an invitation to teach in America. He made it here safely. But as just a few weeks passed, he doubted more and more that he had made the right decision. This is what he wrote on the day he made the decision to return to Germany. He said, Christians in Germany will face the terrible alternative of either willing the defeat of their nation in order that Christian civilization might survive, or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying our civilization. I know, wrote Bonhoeffer, which one of those alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make it in safety. There was no angel in a dream or otherwise, for Bonhoeffer. He'd grown up believing that churches would stay out of politics. And as the war progressed, he found himself this respectable, rule-following pastor, found himself involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. To read Bonhoeffer's writing, one senses a real struggle, a daily struggle that he experienced. But he did so constantly turning to God in prayer. He did so 
asking scripture daily for wisdom. And he did so with the courage to risk everything for God's call on his life. Now Bonhoeffer would be executed in 1945. He spent about two of those years in prison and was finally transferred to a concentration camp. And he died not long before the concentration camp in which he was held was liberated by Americans. How did he do it? Was the decision he made to return to Germany the right one? I'm not sure we can answer that question. But I know, I believe that his decision was a righteous one. That is to say, he made a decision faithful to the call of God on his life. It was a decision founded in the foundation of helping those who were vulnerable. And it was a choice immersed in the love of God. So on this, this first Sunday of 2023, my charge to you all is to choose love, kindness, justice, every day. Make use of the opportunities in our lives as a church, as individuals, as people of God to walk continually in humble prayer with our Lord, to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness so that like Mary and Joseph, we would be faithful to our calling in the ordinary and extraordinary moments of our life. Would you pray with me before we sing this song? God, we give you thanks for the year that has passed, we give you thanks for the challenges that we have faced. And we ask that you would open our eyes to your presence in this new and coming year. That every choice we would make would form us and shape us for your work, for your mission in our lives and in the world. That we would love mercy. That we would walk humbly in prayer that our lives would be steeped and immersed in your love for all people. So give us courage, give us wisdom, give us strength to do this today and each day to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I now invite you to stand to receive this morning's benediction. Um, and here a tradition we have is to extend our hands as a posture of receiving God's blessing. Now, this is the original God's blessing that God sent through Moses to the people of Israel. And so I bless you today on behalf of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, make, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace. Amen. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.